2021. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? Some of you never saw that day as possible coming. Some of you didn't think you'd make it out of the 20th century. You remember that? Remember how things were at the end of the 20th century? Uh, what are we going to do? All our computers are going to collapse. Everything's going to fall apart. The government's not going to be able to run. Everything's going to fall apart. And then we flowed through that, and suddenly 20 years have passed. Wow. And we're into 2021. As a friend said, it's the only time you can look backward and have 2020 vision. I didn't think it was very funny either, so we'll just leave it at that. I am glad to be here. I'm glad it's 2021. I'm glad that we are moving forward. I think we all have high hopes that some of the things that encumber us and have encumbered us through the previous year, most of the previous year, may be resolved in the time ahead and we can have a more optimistic year, much freer in many respects. And, and I hope that's the case. I hope we learn some things. I hope we grow in a, in a good way. I hope we're able to restore people that have lost their faith. And I hope we're able to reach people who may have during this time turn to faith. I hope we're able to build in a great way, and I believe trusting we can build in a great way, individually and collectively. I look forward to this year being a great year. And so with that in mind, I thought about what would I share with you on the first Sunday of 2021? What can we share on this day? And I didn't know. I began to dig through the scriptures thinking, what can I find? And, and this is a common pattern for me is to if I don't have something immediate in mind or don't have something in plan necessarily, is to just go to the scriptures and begin to search and let the scriptures speak. I don't mean I just open the Bible, put my finger on it like my wife did for me, and people said that was the best lesson I had all year. But uh, I just do some reading and study, and, and then something strikes me, and I think, boy, that would be good. And I went to the third chapter of Matthew, and I found a couple of words that I think are so valuable and important, and I haven't really given them that much credit in the broad spectrum, and we'll, you'll see what I mean in just a moment. But I call the lesson, permit it, because there are a lot of things we'd like to deny in life, a lot of things we'd like to put off, a lot of things we would like to ignore if we possibly could, things that we just don't want to happen. We can talk about illness, we can talk about death, we can talk about pandemics, we can talk about inequalities, we can talk about governments, we can talk about elections, we can talk about uh, business, we can talk about any number of things that might affect some of us in one way or another along the way. But ultimately, there are things we just must permit. Permit it. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, and, and what is the time? It is the time in which John the Baptist is teaching. Clouds are thronging to him, coming to him, and John the Baptist has people coming to him, and there are people that he's turning away, and people that, that he says, you know, you need to bring something repentant if you're going to come to me to be baptized. And there, there are some in that way, and others are thronging to him. And here is this, this about 30-year-old man, and people are coming to him, and he is baptizing them with a baptism under the remission of sins. And people are turning and coming to him. And among those who come is a fellow by the name of Jesus Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by John, or by him. 
And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it. Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. You ever try to put yourself in John's shoes? I mean, that would be hard because we, we don't have a divine, a, a divine order to go out and teach and baptize people in quite the same way that John did. While we do have that from the Lord, John was sent as a prophet. John was sent with a message. He was sent to prepare for the coming kingdom. He was spent, sent to turn people's hearts to God, to bring a repentance among the people. He was sent to do these things, and crowds are, are coming to him, and then to have Jesus... For if anyone there knew Jesus, it was John. John knew him, knew what kind of man he was, knew what kind of character he was. And Jesus came to him and John said, I can't be baptizing you. In 1913, in 1913, I don't remember it. In 1913, I won't ask here who, who does. In 1913, Al Jolson made a song popular. He sang a popular song. The music was written by a James Monaco, and uh, lyrics were by a Joseph McCarthy. Not Senator McCarthy, but by a Joseph McCarthy. He picked up the song, and the beginning lyrics of the song may be somewhat familiar when he said and sang... You made me love you. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And isn't that true? Sometimes we're given tasks we just don't want to do. Think of John. But when doing a task given by someone else, we may do it simply because we are forced to do it. Government or a our superiors force us to do it. We don't want to do it. Sometimes we're just willing people who say, I'll do it, I'll do it, whatever you need, I'll do it, I'll do that, whatever it is. Or sometimes it's simply because, we'll do it because, even though we don't understand, even though we, we don't see the, the great result of it, we may do it simply because we believe in the person that has given the instructions to do the task. And isn't that the one? That's the one. That last one is the one that we want to gain. That last one is the one we want to hold on to. I believe in you, so I will do it. John permitted it. But I think we realize, and we must realize, that, that faith in someone or having so someone invest faith in us is a prized investment. It can also be a tough one to maintain and keep going for there are often circumstances that tend to pull against that trust and pull it apart circumstances in our lives as we as we go on we may find ourselves a little bit like the child who has been called by the father as the father says here jump and I'll catch you in my arms the little child wants to jump to the father but looks and sees the ground seemingly far far away And having had a few accidents along the way, realizes how hard the ground really is. And the father is saying, jump to me and I'll catch you. You'll be safe. And the child trusts the father and wants to leap to the father. But there are scary things in between. 
putting faith and trust in someone and putting faith and trust in God can run very counter, very counter to our most intuitive, our most common practical thinking. And at those times, that trust, that faith, must rely on what the writer of the Hebrews tells us. That let our substance and our evidence in what is not yet seen be fully in him. For that faith is the substance and the evidence of things not seen and things hoped for. It is the evidence for doing the right thing. And that's what we find with Jesus here. Jesus gives us an example that may not seem to make much human physical sense, but it is an example, and it is an example for you and me. For sometimes we come up against, as I said, against those things that, that just don't make sense. We say, this doesn't make sense. We can look at things around us and say, it doesn't make any sense for this to be this way. But if you stop and realize, think about it a moment, there are a lot of needed things that really just don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. There's a story that might parallel the one we're using for our lesson today. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 5 about a man by the name of Naaman. It's been taught in our Sunday school classes. We've taught it in adult classes. Naaman was a, was a general and leader in the Assyrian army. But he had leprosy. No cures, no opportunity. It was probably just going to get worse as he went along, and ultimately he would die as a result. But a little servant girl in the household passed along the word. Ultimately, it makes its way to Naaman. If he could just go back to Israel, and there he could find the prophet in Israel, speaking of Elisha. And if he could go there, that that prophet, he, she believed that prophet could heal him. Naaman is believing enough, desperate enough, whatever, that he does go. And he goes to Israel, and he goes to the king, and he said, I'm sent here to be healed of my leprosy. And the king in Israel says, you think I can do this thing? What in the world? The king, your king, is trying to make war against me. But ultimately, the word comes from Elisha, send him to my house. And Naaman and his entourage make their way to Elisha's house. Where when he arrives, Elisha's servant comes out and says, here's what the master tells you. Go dip in the Jordan or go over to the Jordan River and dip in it seven times. He's traveled. And the thoughts in his mind had to run to how far I've traveled, how much I've done, and what I'm dealing with. And he wants me to go over here and jump in the river. Usually when somebody tells you to go jump in the river, you know what they mean. <laughs> Get out of here. Quit bothering me. But Elisha says, go dip in that river seven times. And Naaman says, I'm not going to do it. I can go home and dip in the river. There are better rivers at home. I didn't need to come all this way to here. I thought he would come out and he'd wave his hand over it and, and uh, say some magic words or something like that and I would be healed. But no, he goes to Elisha. Elisha doesn't even come out to see him but sends a servant out and he goes to the river. But thankfully, thankfully, there are servants with him. There are people along with him that tell Naaman, if he'd done, ask you to do something great, wouldn't you do it? Now tell me, does dipping in the river still, make, does it still not make sense? Of course it doesn't make sense. There's no power in that river to cleanse him of leprosy. 
But you know what? He did it. He did it, and he was cleansed. His leprosy was gone. When he came up that seventh time, his leprosy was gone. It doesn't seem to make sense. There are things in life that are not going to make sense, but we use them, we know them. I think about a friend of mine, a preaching friend of mine, who says, you know, when I was a kid, I was pretty good in math, but when it came to algebra, algebra just doesn't make sense to me. And as much as I've tried to tell him, we use algebra every day of our lives. We just don't recognize it for what it is. Well, that doesn't make any sense to him. There are a lot of things that don't make sense to us. Women don't make sense to men too often. <laughs> oh, and men never make sense to women. Maybe because they don't have any sense. Still, what would we do without one another? God knew what we needed. Genesis 2 and verse 18, it's not good that man should be alone. All right, I think about this. We think about God and we think about who he is and what he is. We think about the Holy Spirit. And, and, and how we struggle with the idea of the Holy Spirit, and many have struggled with that idea over the years, and, and it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to us in a lot of ways, in very physical ways. And I think about the little book that came out, I think it was in the 1970s, maybe 1980s, a little book that a preacher put out, and I didn't care much for the book, but I loved the title of it. I didn't think the book was worth much, so, so if you ever get one, just tear off the cover. I just like the title, not the book itself. But... The title of the book was, The Holy Spirit Makes No Earthly Sense for Heaven's Sake. <laughs> Maybe that's an expression that's on our minds sometimes because there are a lot of things about God and His ways that don't make human sense. A lot of years ago, I was sitting in a dining room with a, a member of the congregation. This was way back, about 40 years ago. Sitting back, we were sitting in his dining room and going over some things in the Bible and there came a knock at the door and his wife opened the door and a young lady came in and she was there trying to sell some, some kind of insurance to him. And I don't know whether she had an appointment, he forgot about it or not anyway. And she came in and he said, well, I don't have really time for you right now. She said, well, could I come in and... You know, I, like to use your restroom if I could and said sure and let her use the restroom and as she came through the room where we were she looked at what we we're doing with our Bibles laying open and she said something I said yeah we're having a Bible study here and she said she looked at the Bible and she said that just doesn't make sense to me first I thought to have a Bible study but what she meant says I don't understand it now I wanted to jump up and say have you ever read it have you ever spent any time it? But I didn't do it. I just said, well, I, I don't know what we responded exactly, but I said, well, you'd be welcome to sit down and study with us, and maybe it'll make more sense, something like that. But she decided to go on her way anyway. But in all seriousness, there's a lot of things about God that we struggle with, aren't there? There are things that we don't understand. I was just thinking about some the other day, and I don't want to throw them out there because it gets you off in, a, in a, a different way, but the array and number of questions we might have about God and His ways are incalculable. Let me, let me give you just two or three examples. Are we alone in the universe? Is there any other life in the universe? Is there, are we the only real life that God created in this universe, this vast universe that we can't even measure? Another question might be, why in the world did He make mosquitoes? Why did God make mosquitoes? I, I just, you know, that doesn't make or maybe it does. Or if we could confront God, aren't there those questions we would like to say, Father, how did you do that? 
how did you do what you did? And maybe one of the big ones is, what is heaven and eternal life really like? You know, I think the answer to our unanswerables is often found in our own inability to see the whole, to see the big picture of things. That's why we think things don't make sense sometimes because we don't see the whole picture. We don't see everything that was going on. So take it back to John and Jesus. John the Baptist and Jesus here. Take it back to that for a moment because John evidently knew Jesus. They were related. John was maybe a few months older than Jesus. Some think about six months if you're reading leads you in that direction. But John knew Jesus, seemed to know about the kind of life that Jesus was living and the character that was in Jesus. And he had been sent to baptize repentant sinners to bring them back to God. And here's a man of God, and Jesus comes to him. And you can read Matthew 3 and Mark 1 and Luke 3 as he was sent to turn the hearts of the children back to their fathers to restore them to God and so forth. Great messages. And he was sent to do that, but baptizing Jesus, who he saw as a man who was even better than him, more dedicated to God, more righteous than him, that didn't make any sense to John. But Jesus had something greater. Jesus had something greater as a reason. You see, it wasn't about something of personal fulfillment for himself. What it was about was doing what was right before God. It was not a matter of personal fulfillment. It was about doing right. Remember when Jesus was 12 and he had stayed behind in the temple and his parents had headed back home after the feast and they came back and they finally find him and, and his mother confronts him about what was going on and he said, why did you think this way? Didn't you know I would be about my father's stuff? my father's business. I'd be about his place. Didn't you know? You see, Jesus held on to that higher calling about doing what is right. Now, John knew that someone special was going to come as he recounts uh, some of these events in John chapter 1. He'd been told that there would be someone special. And when you see these signs, you'll know that's what it is. And there was a confirmation that came after the event. Remember the voice? We don't have it in our reading today, but it's there. This is my beloved son in whom I am. After Jesus had done this to fulfill all righteousness, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now what was John's thinking? What was John thinking now? with that confirmation in mind. But I want you to hold on to this. For with two simple words, with two simple words, Jesus directed unexpected events that seemed to go against common sense and he directed them into righteous behavior. Sometimes things don't make sense to us. So where are we? In my notes it says, want it or not, the time has come. 
Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3 that there is a time of war and a time of peace. Jesus even addressed that to some degree. For there is a time to do the things you cannot avoid. You cannot deny and you cannot resist. There comes a time you just got to do what you got to do. Isn't that the way we say it? There's a time you got to do what you got to do. There's a time you cannot avoid it. You cannot deny it and you cannot resist it. You must do it. For the deadline comes, the opportunity is there and you need to grab it now. And some things, the opportunity is there and it's not going to come again. There is a time, though, to pursue peaceful survival, to back off, to just simply let things be as they are. Jesus used the illustration of someone building a house. Before you build a house, before you ever lay that foundation for the house, you go and you calculate the cost and you find out what it's going to cost and you look down and say, do I have enough to build the whole house or else you might get started and somewhere along the line maybe you get the foundation out there and you don't get any further with it and everybody says, look at that, look at that guy. He didn't know what he was doing. Or the second illustration was the king. Time of war has come. So you start counting up your army and say, I've got X number of guys out here. I'm ready to go out and fight. But you go and find out how many does the opposing army have. And let's say you've got 10,000, he's got 30,000. You might want to say, I tell you what, let's find the terms of peace. We'll pay you whatever you want. And that happened a lot. Then I think it still does. Because, friends, there is a difference. There is a difference, as it says right there, there is a difference between hiding in fear and purposefully addressing a situation with what you have available. Discretion is sometimes the better part of valor. It's knowing the difference that is the key. James reminds us that we are to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. But there is a time to hear the word, listen to it, and recognize what it is telling us to be and to do. That's not always running headlong as a bull in a china shop. That is not necessarily going up and slapping people in the face or hammering it over their heads. Maybe there have been times we've tried to make the Bible into a sledgehammer and we've tried to just beat people to death with it. But I'm reminded of the familiar prayer. And the line in the prayer that calls on us to accept the things we cannot change. And friends, that is more than a line from an often repeated, often used prayer. It is something that ties into the necessary state for a forward-moving life. Discretionary ability. When the council had some of those apostles on trial, they could have put them to death at any moment. They could have continually abused them. They could have put them in prison and held them there. But a man by the name of Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5, 
basically told them that if this thing really is of God, we don't want to be standing against it. In other words, we cannot hold back God. There are things we cannot change. The forward movement of time, the limitations that are upon us, the opportunities that may be even further out ahead of us. It is a necessary state that we realize where we are for a forward-moving life. And it demands and applies a discerning, growing, experienced wisdom as we do so. So here's where we are. So learn Jesus' words to permit it. And let me give you quickly four thoughts in that regard to kind of wrap it together. We need to learn that just because we do not have all the desired information does not mean that it is not the right thing to do. Sometimes we plow forward and must plow forward not knowing exactly where we will be. As with most life life involving information, time and growth are a great benefit and are often needed. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that we are not intended to be stagnant, but we are intended to grow. We don't get to be babies forever. We need to go from milk to meat, he says. That takes experience and stepping where we've never been before. So just because you don't have all the desired information does not mean that doing it is not the right thing to do. I think I said that right. Secondly, there are times that just knowing the source is enough. As we talked about there in Acts 5, in the words of Gamaliel, if it is of God. If we're convinced it's of God, that's enough. That's enough to do. We may not always understand all the implications, all the whys and the wherefores, but that is enough. We may not know why God did everything he did and why things in the world and life are structured as they are. But if it is of God, it is enough. We will accept some things that we cannot change. And we will pray for the wisdom to know the difference. And if we are to permit it, we should be seeking to serve a greater cause. If we're making the choice to permit something for a greater cause. When Jesus came to John, it was for a greater cause. Now Naaman, he just wanted to get rid of his leprosy. But you see what happened to Naaman after that. Why did God bring this about? Why did his providence bring it to this place? And in the end, Naaman says, I want some dirt from this land so that I can bow on it and worship only this God. We should seek change. We should seek to allow. We should seek to permit it. Not only to benefit our own lives, but also the lives of others on whom we may have an influence. In other words, we should permit it that we might be the example to those who are around us, to our children, to our children's children, and everyone who sees us and knows us. And then fourthly, We need to permit it and look for the feedback. With Jesus and John, it came with immediacy. 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The voice spoke to it. There was a confirmation that was immediate. We may not always, well, we won't necessarily hear a voice from heaven. We may not always know the confirmation immediately. But when we are doing the right thing before God, we will ultimately know and have confirmed what is right. With those two simple words, Jesus directed the unexpected into righteous behavior. So let me leave you with this thought today. While we are treading new ground every day, There is something, I think, especially challenging about our times and the unusual upheaval that we see about us. And I think in a typical way, we long for a return to what we have known. If that's all we get out of it, we rob ourselves of the opportunity to see the hand of God at work in a broader way, in a broader array than we have ever seen or have imagined possible. Think about it. If Naaman had not been willing to dip in that river, or John had not been willing to baptize Jesus, and that's hard to imagine, but still. When you think about it that way, if they had been unwilling to do what was before them, The consequences and the circumstances that would follow are hard for us to imagine. Put ourselves in their shoes. And in their shoes, think about it, in their shoes as we step forward, there are things we may not like, may not want. There will be things that we will love and adore. But if we trust in God, and it is of God, we will find within him the confirmation of doing for righteousness.